Now, this morning, got a great conversation coming your way. Uh, about a week or maybe just over a week ago in the papers, we obviously uh, saw the... Uh, the, the headlines on a number of the front pages of the dailies, and it was the national gender and uh, sorry, I'm going to say that again. It was the Kenya 2022 Kenya Demographic Health Survey. Uh, and in studio with me this morning, I have the director of programs, Kenya National Bureau of Statistics, Paul Correa. Uh, uh, he is the director of programs uh, of and research National Gender and Equality Commission and Samuel uh, Samuel Wakibi, lecturer in demography of Nairobi University. Gentlemen, welcome to Capital FM. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Uh, great Thanks to have you with us. us. We've had a good laugh before we've started, which is good. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we feel warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, a nice little uh, light moment when I said, uh, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, the survey had a lot to do with women and right. uh, as uh, one of you uh, pointed out uh, it's mostly about women as is most of life right. <laughs> yeah. mother nature uh, right. mother nature right. exactly yes. uh, yeah. and it's great to have you with us uh, because this was obviously a, a very uh, concerning uh, survey uh, in a number of different areas uh, mm -hmm. I did read the article in I think it was the Daily Nation that ran it as a front page story if I'm not mistaken mm -hmm. um, and uh, there are some concerns but we're not going to talk about those concerns yet we're just going to talk a little bit about what the purpose of this survey was and, and uh, Paul I'll start with you mm -hmm. um, you know what, what was the purpose of the survey and how did it inform the Kenya gender equality agenda. Thank you, Farid. Um, indeed, the uh, Kenya Demographic Health Survey is a very important survey for the state. Um, it's also very important for men and women in our country. The purpose of this study is to provide a very robust, comprehensive data on and provide update estimates on uh, demographic population and health indicators that would guide the planning, that would guide the design, the implementation, uh, monitoring and evaluation of various population-related programs at national and county level. And the data was well disaggregated by region or residents, so we have data that is available for rural and urban, as well as uh, some indicators that are available at uh, the county level. And most of the indicators are also, all of the indicators are estimated at the national level. Now, Farid, you ask a very good question on how this relates to the gender agenda in our country. And gender equality, you know, you agree with me, is about women and men, it's about the population, it's about development. Sure. And therefore, um, this survey did provide us with the status, the gender equality status in many, in many fronts. We're able to understand the health outcomes, we're able to understand some of the economic outcomes, we're able to see the gender inequalities, we're able to see the disparities by residents, by age, by uh, wealth quintiles, by our counties. And um, we're able to, you know, uh, uh, lay a focus on the gender intersectionalities, you know, who is left behind, when and how, and in what aspects are they left behind. And we're able also to know which are these groups or segments of the population mm. that um, are suffering, you know, multiple discrimination or, you know, huge deprivation of various services, whether they are health-related services or so access to social amenities and, you know, aspects of dignity as well. So it's a very important survey, not only for ourselves, but also at the global level. I also want to say, Farid, that um, the DHS 2022, it's, um, it's a survey of its own kind. You know, uh, it's, it's in its own class because when you look at the magnitude, the scope of it, um, when you look at the the, 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 the spectrum of the fields and the themes that were covered. 18 chapters indeed. Yeah, I was going to ask about tens that. It's very tens, long. Yes, yeah. tens and tens of indicators that were measured. Um, this is the second since we had the devolution. The last one was in 2014. So it's such a unique survey, not only for ourselves, but even in Africa. It's one of those studies that we're very proud of. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I will uh, we'll come back to that. 18 chapters is quite a long publication. Right. Um, but again, I think it's really important to point out that 
you know, the fact that we're doing this, the fact that we're right. trying to look for the inequalities, the right. fact that we're trying to find out why, let's be honest, uh, Africa as a whole, we'll take Kenya as an example, right. is a patriarchal society. Right. There's no question about that, right. right? And a lot of the developing countries tend to fall in that category mm-hmm. where, I mean, actually globally, right. we, we live in a patriar- patriarchal mm-hmm. world. Right. Um, but the fact that we're doing a survey like this shows that there is a propensity to move the agenda forward mm-hmm. and to say, how can we raise the equality levels between men and women. I think that's a wonderful thing to start with there. Right, right. I'm right. going to move over to you quickly, uh, Dr. Uh, Samuel Wakibi. Is it Dr. Dr. Samuel? Yes, Dr. Yes, Samuel yes. Wakibi. Um, uh, and ask you a question here, which is, um, you're, you're a, a demographic, uh, 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 sorry, a lecturer in demography. Uh, so what, what does that actually mean? Well, uh, demography is about population growth, looking at how fast population is growing in a, in a country and it's not just limited to human beings though we the focus on uh, KDHS is on human population mm. and uh, when you talk of uh, population change you're thinking of which are these factors that uh, make our uh, population increase or shrink things to do with uh, people's fertility uh, things to do with uh, that's giving birth. Fertility is actually uh, getting uh, getting us into this world. Uh, there is the issue of uh, migration. Movement will actually increase or reduce the population, mm-hmm. as it were, and uh, eventually there is death. Right. So again, getting people out of the equation is uh, is death. So uh, demography is about those dynamics, those three changes. Uh, how do they or how are they performing uh, in a country? If, for example, uh, we look at uh, Kenya, something that is very relevant to this discussion, uh, we are talking of, uh, well, how many children uh, per woman are we getting at the moment? Yeah, And uh, at the same time, how is our movement in and out of the country? and uh, also other people who are coming in. Mm. This is very important because you can only plan when you know the number of people whom you are planning for. Let's think of, uh, for example, the children population. If you want to uh, put up schools, you need to know that the children are there, the number of children that you require, uh, the, the number of children that you have for you to determine the number of classes you are going to put up. Uh, health facilities wow. is the same thing. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you have to know how many, for example, let's take maternity because we talked of women as being the main focus. Uh, maternity wards, how many are you going to put up? If there are no women, maybe very few women in your loca- locality, then you do not need to have so many uh, maternity wards. You'd rather have other wards mm. or wards for other uh, conditions. Sure. So that you can use your resources in a more efficient an effective way. So, so the basis of planning, uh, in terms of uh, let's talk about health, because we are to, uh, in yeah. terms of health infrastructure. We mentioned schooling and classroom size, etc. Sure. But the, the basis of planning in, in the, within the health infrastructure falls squarely on demographic research. Totally, without that data, you cannot plan. You will actually find yourself uh, imagining how many people do we have and mm. how many schools should we put up. You may end up having uh, what we keep on referring to as white elephants. You put up an infrastructure which is not being used 
to capacity. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, in, uh, in, in, in our African context, we actually have a lot of that. A very big school where you only have maybe it's at half capacity. Maybe that additional infrastructure that you put in place, you would have maybe done better for your population mm. if instead of putting five classrooms and you only have uh, children who can fit very well in two classes, these three extra classes, the money that you had for that ought to have gone, for example, for health. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing. You really have to have the data mm. for you to do proper planning. Right. So, Paul, you yep. need Samuel in order to do this research. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, we need him. Yes, yes because and obviously... Another, and, another and, expert as well. Another and expert in the field. Sure. As well covered within the DHS. Yeah. But, right. but, but, but that is vital information. Let's, right. let's move on now. So, mm. um, tell me about some of the findings uh, within the household. Uh, um, so, you know, two or three very salient findings about the households and populations that you studied doing this survey. Thank you, Farid. Um, quite a number of uh, findings, but allow me to narrow down to two or three, as you correctly asked. One is, um, you know, we looked at the living conditions and access, for instance, to electricity. But more interestingly is the reliance of the households to, you know, to clean fuels and emerging technologies for lighting, cooking, and heating uh, spaces. And you find major disparities here. Um, overall, 21% of the households relies on such clean fuels uh, compared to, um, uh, compared if you look at the rural and urban areas, it is higher in urban areas at 53%, and only 5% of the rural areas have access to such forms of uh, to such forms of energy. Now, when you look at the data disaggregated or pro, you know estimated at the county level, you find that um, uh, the reliance of the reliance of households on clean forms of fuel and technologies is high in Nairobi, is high in Kiambu, Kajiado, is lowest in Mandera and um, Wajia, Tana River, Almasabit, Baringo, West Pokot, and Trukana. Another interesting finding, Farid, is about the percentage of household population that, that is of age six or above that has no education. That is shrinking over time, which is a good thing. Right, so we are headed in the right direction. Oh yes, these are, these are progressive results that we are very proud of, and that tells you that data is quite robust and mm -hmm. it's used to uh, provide estimates on where we are at the moment mm -hmm. and be able to identify very specific gender gaps that needs to be addressed along the way. For instance, let me give you an example. Uh, for the women, this has reduced from 27% in, um, in 1993 to 13% of the population within the household that has no education. Whereas for men, this has, um, this has reduced from 17% from the same period to 10% uh, in 2022. Um, of course, you know, it also tells us that we haven't attained the optimal levels of education that we would like. And therefore, there needs to be a lot of efforts. There needs to be very systematic, structured programs to ensure that this transition uh, from uh, the primary levels of education to higher levels of education, tertiary, vocational education, and the universities. This is because you find about 12% of the women at the household level and 13% of men have more than secondary level of education. That mm -hmm. means, uh, even though there's no disparities between the two gender, it means that we still need to increase that proportion over time. And that's the focus for the next five years. That's why the next survey is going to take us about five years so that we take time to digest, have conversation around this matter and put in strategies that are going to address that these gonna, gaps. That was right. going to address my next question, which was obviously now you will confer and advise 
government uh, entities, private sector entities on how these areas can be improved so that in five years you can see another uh, decrease in the amount of uneducated women, uneducated men, uneducated uh, children and, and so forth. I Absolutely, guess, right? Fred. And more importantly, even the communities themselves. Right. Remember, they're the greatest producers of data, so they should enjoy the greatest and the highest amounts of dividends right. from this Absolutely, data. Absolutely, well. yeah. Right. You know? uh, we're going to come back to you in a moment because right. there are obviously some 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 hard questions to ask uh, things <laughs> such as uh, male circumcision female genital mutilation okay. um, and of course uh, one critical uh, issue covered in this survey was the empowerment of women right uh, but also domestic abuse was also a big uh, mm -hmm. finding for you we're going to come back to that in a minute but I'm going to switch over to uh, uh, Dr. Samuel one more time as, as well um, in your uh, capacity as a lecturer and expert on demography, sure. um, what is the actual and preferred number of children and family planning methods that should be used within the household? Uh, well, when we talk of uh, preferred, mm -hmm. uh, essentially we have to ask ourselves what do we really want to achieve. That's where that's the starting point, because there are methods which are permanent and there are those ones which are temporary. You, for example, want to take a break from uh, having children, then resume later. Mm -hmm. And there are those ones who want to actually, who've said enough is enough. But uh, maybe just to take you a little bit uh, back, uh, when you look at uh, our population growth and uh, the number of children that uh, we are having, there are those numbers that we talk of, preferred number of children. Mm -hmm. You find many women in this uh, country prefer around between three and four children. So around 3.7 on average. Can, can I ask, just before you continue, can I ask if, if you ever compare that to global sort of, uh, uh, is there a global comparison that you do, like say, between us and certain Western countries or certain other countries in Africa? Okay, yes, research is actually about comparing yourself with equals. And uh, that's the reason why we even have the demographic health survey program. Because right. though we are talking of the survey in Kenya, uh, this, uh, the, 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 the program itself covers all developing countries. And uh, we are able to compare ourselves to Uganda, Tanzania, and all these developing countries. And at the same time, we also compare ourselves because uh, with the first world, and uh, they preferred mainly as a demographer we would require uh, people to re be able to replace themselves right just have two children where you will actually be re replacing yourself if you go below that you will be shrinking your your population right if you go beyond that you may find yourself going beyond there will actually be an increase but to have a balance we are talking of two children okay and for Kenya, we are at 3.4. Okay. So high. <laughs> no, it's 3.4 children. No, I'm saying, but it's, it's high, right? It's, it's higher than what is, uh, uh, well, let me not talk about recommended because <laughs> that's our preference. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But uh, you find that we are not able even uh, to actually get to the number of children that we prefer. Number of children that we prefer. You find the number of children that men prefer is about four, four point two to be exact. Whereas women, it's a three point seven, and they are the ones who are uh, who give birth. Maybe that's why 
Mr. Kuria is talking of uh, domestic violence because <laughs> here you are, you want to achieve your 4.2, and on this other side, he wants to remain lower uh, than than that. Mm. Now, <laughs> that, that could also be a direct indication of do you know how much this is going to cost us? You know what I mean? Sure. Definitely. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, an investment. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. I mean, yes. education isn't That's cheap, especially in this country. It's quite yes. expensive for a good education. Yes. So now, uh, to be able to achieve now this target of preferred prevalence, uh, preferred fertility, uh, one has to come up with, uh, with, uh, with, with methods to make sure that you do not go beyond what you want. And that's now where the point of preference, what method you prefer. The permanent methods, they are, they are, they are quite a number and uh, for both men and women. For example, if it's a temporary measure, you will actually find people using uh, condoms. Yeah, that's just for a temporary measure. And uh, if it is maybe something that you want to delay for a little bit uh, uh, longer time, there are more permanent, um, partially permanent methods uh, which you uh, women actually do uh, do apply. Uh, if you want it permanent. For men, you can go for vasectomy. That means that that is the end of the road. Right. And uh, for women, you can go for tube ligation. Okay. And uh, that would mean you'll not be able to. But but surely, uh, maybe this is for you, uh, Paul. Surely the the there is you're talking about a preferred within a household. Yeah. Right. If I want to have five kids yes. uh, and my wife wants to have five kids, then we can have five kids. Yeah. That's up to me, really. Right. Yes. But there must be a a recommended from a population uh, capacity standpoint uh, per country, i.e., you know, like what China has done in the past. When they That's saying, two. Yeah, right. Two is the recommendation. Yes. Okay, got it. Yes. All right, we're going to take a quick break for the sports. Okay. When we come back, okay. uh, we will uh, discuss a couple of issues that are hard to digest, uh, one of which is female genital mutilation, still something that happens here, and, of course, domestic abuse, uh, other, other findings that uh, came out within this survey. Capital FM now, in studio with us this morning, if you're just tuning in, uh, we have uh, Paul Courier, Director of program, uh, Director Programs, Kenya National Bureau of Statistics, uh, Gender and Equality Commission, and Samuel Wakibi, Lecturer in Demography, Nairobi University. Uh, and we are discussing, uh, obviously, this uh, uh, 2022 Kenya Demographic Health Survey. We've gone through a number of uh, discussion points and topics and some positive information as well. I think, you know, sometimes we, we always want to look at the negatives, but there mm -hmm. are there's some positive uh, uh, results that came out of it as well. However, um, I also noted in the report that you gathered information about male circumcision and female genital mutilation. Uh, maybe just unpack that for us, Paul. Why is this data so important and what were some of the key findings? Uh, very interesting, uh, Farid. Now, the male circumcision in this survey uh, was asked a couple of questions related to whether the men of age 15 to 49 and 15 to 54 have gone through um, the the cut, whether it is partial or uh, completely removal of the foreskin. And these questions were asked in relation to um, the prevention on, on or in relation to the risk of sexually transmitted diseases, including HIV/AIDS, of course, um, without you know discounting the fact that other prevention measures have to be taken into account. 
And, um, you know, there are some communities that still do not circumcise their boys. And we know very well uh, from the studies that um, uh, male circumcisions really reduces the risk of transmission of HIV AIDS from women to men by about 60%. And for a long time, Farid, you know that Kenya has been running a program, voluntary medical male circumcision. And the results are quite interesting and they are quite positive in the fact that 94% um, uh, of men, 15 to 49, were circumcised. 32% were circumcised through traditional means and 57 were circumcised through a medical uh, procedures and 5% had a combination of both traditional and, 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 medic and, and medically circumcised. And you find in some regions like in Trokana, it's about 57%, that's one of the lowest. Then Homabisiaya is about 69%, Kisumu 71%, Migori 78%, Baringo um, 80%, and in other regions it's almost 100%, it's about 99%. But let's talk a little bit about the FGM because this is a very, this is the legal practice that yeah. is harmful to women and girls. And, and it is a very concerning situation that it's, I mean, I know there's been a number of efforts. Right. Uh, I worked on a documentary years ago uh, with AMREF regarding mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. you know so that I know there are programs that are trying to uh, completely eradicate female genital mutilation however it still exists right and that's why we're having this conversation to let you know that those programs have really borne some fruits mm. we have seen mm. that the female genital mutilation is declining over the years from uh, 38% in 1998, that's about 35 years or so ago, to about 15% in 2022. Well, that's um, great. That's which, great. Is, which is good results. This yeah. is great. This is quite progressive. Yes. But we still have a lot to do. This has to be reduced to zero um, prevalence by 2030 or right. even earlier. And um, much interesting around this is to understand that this is a violation of the rights of the girls and women in our country. Uh, interestingly, 30% of women were circumcised at age 5 to 9 years. That is early in life. And among women with living daughters that are aged between 0 and 14 years, we find about 2% were circumcised. And of those who are circumcised, you find that 14% of the girls 0 to 14 years and 17% of women uh, 15 to 49 were circumcised by a medical professional. That tells us there's a new trend, an emerging issue that we need to deal with, yes. to really speak to our health providers to deter these and um and not and not participate and in guess, the women's i guess the only the only thing you can do is if a professional medical health provider engages in uh female genital uh, mutilation right uh, they should probably lose their license i mean i think that would be the only sort of punishment you could i mean because it's a completely illegal practice exactly i agree with right. you that uh, of course this must start with some sensitization and really uh, for them to understand that this is completely um you know um, it's an abuse of human rights it's an abuse of yeah. the rights of the girls yeah. and, and and women in yeah. our country and this should not happen at least it should not be coming from them neither should it be coming from any one of those every uh girl and uh, woman has a right um, yes to to be who they are yes. and we shouldn't we shouldn't allow female circumcision to happen um, let's move on uh, to another topic that is obviously of a lot of concern uh, um, and I noticed that uh, I read very interesting findings that 43% of women and 35% of men believe that a husband is justified in beating his wife uh, I mean that that's that's disturbing uh, I think what's more disturbing that when you say um, 35% of men, 43% of women think it's that it, they're justified. But also, is this, you know, you could look at Nairobi as a relatively progressive part of the country, right? right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we're very exposed to the Western uh, sort of culture. And, and mm -hmm. I guess I, I would ask as a part two of that question, first of all, those, mm. those statistics are concerning. Part two is, uh, does that vary from county to county? Um, you know, I mean, I guess the less exposed counties would probably 
live in a sort of an old school kind of belief system? I don't know. Yeah, Farid, as much as it's disturbing, this has improved over time. It used to be completely high. So um, the fact that this is declining over time and two, that this is a precursor to behavior. These are attitudes and we need to um, to arrest the situation before it can be translated into actions. These are beliefs, these are attitudes, these are perceptions that um, every, you know, we, we need to put in programs to really arrest them before they can happen. But uh, the question that you ask um, whether this vary by county, yes, it does. Uh, you find that among women, uh, because the statistics that you've just read is uh, disaggregated by men and women uh, uh, as far as whether they are farmed, this behavior. Um, among women, it's high in Trokana at 84 percent in Masabit 82 percent Wajia 78 percent you see there are sour areas where we talked about patriarchal relation we talked about patriarchal society in a second and then among men it's high in Isiro as well mm -hmm. um, West Pokot 71 percent and Madeira 70 percent now um, but the acceptance of wife beating is also high in rural areas compared to the uh, urban areas you mm. find among women is about 51 percent in rural and 40 percent uh, men and when you look at the statistics in the urban areas is 30 percent among women and 26 percent among men but then the question would be why do women affirm or hold a positive attitude that mm. um you know in quotes a positive attitude in court that wife beating is justified this is because of very historical and contemporary lack of greater sense of entitlement among the women it is the lowest team that we have put women into it's the low status that we accord the women and a reflection of the negative sense of entitlement is because we have socialized women to believe so even when they may not have suffered this mm. but we have socialized them to believe that it's okay mm. for them mm. to uh, for any woman to be subjected to, to 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 some humiliation or to wife beating and we subjected this across a series of uh, reasons like reasons that when she burns her food then she's justified to be beaten when she argues with you when she goes out with her friends and when you suspect that she's unfaithful honestly these are not reasons no. that justify self-defense sure if that is the case or justify wife beating or at any all. kind of domestic abuse exactly I'm, I'm gonna come to you, Dr. Samuel, um, you know, from where you sit as a lecturer and an expert in demography, uh, what is a gender-based violence situation here in Kenya? Well, uh, let me say that uh, just like the very many uh, indicators, uh, we have uh, improved over time. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we talk of uh, gender-based violence, it's not limited to physical. Uh, there is a uh, sexual and there is also the emotional bit of it. And... Uh, well, the, the, the actual uh, factors would actually, uh, the, 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 the actual figures will be as high as 28% uh, uh, of uh, women are actually exposed to, um, to violence. And uh, this varies, actually varies by education, people's education. So you can see an element of empowerment that uh, as people get more empowered because... Uh, Education is an instrument of, uh, of, of empowerment. Uh, you find fewer and fewer violence is being meted to women who have gone to school as compared to women who are of a lower uh, level of, uh, of education. So That's interesting. That's yes. really interesting and, and, and very progressive, and also it's encouraging. It is encouraging. The more, more education someone has, mm -hmm. uh, let's, let's talk about the gender. The more education women have, mm -hmm. uh, the more they will say, this is wrong. You can't do this. Including the belief itself. Yes. Mm -hmm. The figures mm -hmm. given by uh, Kuria, mm -hmm. 
were for the country. Mm -hmm. But again, if you are to vary, to look at how that varies by education, mm -hmm. you will find that mm -hmm. an educated woman is an empowered woman. Okay. So the beliefs, those old beliefs and traditions, they have since discarded. And they believe if one is violent, they should actually just part ways. Yes, pack your bag and go. And go. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the most interesting thing, and uh, this is maybe people may not uh, uh, believe this, uh, is uh, the gender-based uh, violence. You find, though we are talking of the national figure being 28%, it is highest in Bungoma and Embu. Okay. At 40%. What are the contributing, I, I'm not sure which one of you will answer this, but I assume it'll be you, Dr. Samuel. What are the contributing factors to those two particular areas having such a prevalent and high rate of domestic abuse? Okay, uh, well, let me say that uh, those findings, we are yet to get the reasons. We were not collecting data on reasons. I think it is upon now the county government to try and find out because mm. uh, uh, the, the program itself, the KDHS was a cross-sectional where you visit a household, ask them a few questions and move on. So we were trying to get the levels of these indicators. Now, the reason behind that only comes after the finding. And that's now a sensitization campaign that a county yeah. government must take. We're a devolved country, so it's up to yep. each county. Mm -hmm. But I have a question because you've raised something really important there, uh, Dr. Samuel, and maybe this yeah. is for you, uh, Paul. Right. You, you, the survey was you went into a household. You yes. asked a series of questions. Right. If I'm a woman and I am being abused, uh, uh, physically abused or sexually abused by my husband, right? You've come into the household to right. ask me questions. Is there not going to be a level of fear to be honest in that environment? Definitely, there will be a fear. There will be lack of confidence and yeah. the, um, and the self esteem. And will worrying go down. about when the surveyor leaves, what will happen to me if I'm honest? Yes, yes. All that was taken into consideration, oh, and therefore okay. specific measures were put in place uh, by the field interviewers to ensure that the survey inter uh, the interviews themselves happen in privacy. They are subjected to consent form. They were subjected to questions on whether they feel comfortable. First, they are going to say they are not comfortable. Why would they feel comfortable? Would do you want me to come? later on and speak to you right. you know all those kinds of questions were put to That's them wonderful. remember we are not there to traumatize women yeah, yeah. more or even men remember gender-based sure, violence also sure. men suffer Absolutely. from this yeah. we're not there to traumatize them further okay. we are there to really protect and really have a conversation with them right. and we wanted very honest responses from themselves so the survey process procedures and Fully processes I guess, exactly exactly right. completely okay. mm -hmm. so no matter what she or he said yes uh, there would be no there would be no uh, repercussions within the household exactly you did your best to make it sure that there are exactly to the best and, of the abilities of the enumerators and maybe to add to that uh, it's very uh, interesting it's human nature when one comes to you to open up in a very uh, in a confidential way mm -hmm. it has an element of therapy yeah. so Instead of uh, the women uh, locking themselves in and not opening up, when you take them to a very secluded place or maybe a place where they would actually feel nobody else is actually hearing what you're saying, they would open up. Sure. Human sure. beings are like that. Yes, yes. And we feel, well, there is somebody that you are there, who is there to actually provide you with a shoulder to cry from yes. that you have always 
looked for. And I'm sure your survey has found a lot of instances where when these women opened up, or or men for that matter, I know we, we you, as you mentioned, <laughs> gender-based violence can go both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an element of of release, an element of relief, relief yeah. to, to be able to tell exactly. their story, relief, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, as we close off, you've released the survey report. So right. what, what happens now? Yeah, Farid, many things need to happen. One is the conversation we're having now. Yeah. And media houses uh, like yourselves and many other actors need to begin this conversation. They need to access this report as huge as it may, but the Kenya National Bill of Statistics and the stakeholders are simplifying it so that we can have popular version. And the county governments need to start making use of this data. The communities need to start interrogating this data. The academia, like Dr. Wakebi, will be doing further research. He has just alluded to one of them that possibly could be added. And um, most importantly is for government institutions, the private sector, to use this data for planning, for evaluating their programs, for recasting their interventions, and for budgeting purposes as well. We need to start thinking through what are the new investments, what are the new strategies. And um, those strategies, we need to ask ourselves, who are we targeting? When and how shall we reach them? Uh, We need to use this data to know who are the segments of the population that are suffering huge inequalities. And once we have a Identify them, we target them, and draw interventions that is going to redress and change the trend of some of the indicators. Now, interestingly, those indicators that are performing very well, it's another job to maintain them. Absolutely. Otherwise, we can crawl back some of the gains that have already yes. been made. So it's not about just putting new no, systems in place. No, it's about no, making no. sure the old systems are working exactly. well as well. Exactly. Efficiency and effectiveness as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I'll end with one question for you, uh, Dr. Samuel. How would you describe the health situation here in Kenya? Uh, okay, let me say that uh, it is not at the level that we would want to, to, to be, but there has been some improvement over, over time. Uh, when you look, for example, at the number, at the percentage of children whose uh, maybe when we talk of uh, underweight, you'll actually find that has been declining over time. Right. And underweight is an indication of poor nutrition uh, for children. I mean, it's, a, it's an indicator of poverty. It's actually an indicator of poverty. Right. And uh, for women, again, using a body mass index where you look at the woman's weight and height, you find that, uh, for example, the normal, the, the, the over, women are tending to actually get into the side of uh, overweight. Right. 28% of our women are actually overweight. That's from 20 years up to uh, 34, uh, 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 49. And uh, we know what the implication of weight, you'll end up having uh, diseases that uh, uh, may be lifestyle uh, uh, diseases, such as uh, heart conditions, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the problem with our own kidneys, the problem with our sugar, high blood pressure, all these conditions actually comes from the kind of uh, life we are leading. Mm. It indicates that uh, people are not exercising enough uh, physical exercises. That's how you end up being overweight, taking a lot of carbohydrates. So that's where we are. So overweight is actually the indicators for now that are not good as they were before yeah but uh well we are we we, we, we I, I i want to believe that uh, when you look at the f- number of women who are involved in physical activity and so forth and so on 
during our mother's time it happened in the farm these days people are going to the gyms but how many can afford the gym exactly yeah so yeah, lifestyle that is, is likely a, a to role, continue yeah. increasing okay and it's an area of but that's a global problem as well obesity is, is a global yes. problem it's bad food and uh, sedentary lifestyle really. it means kenya is actually moving into that <laughs> direction first world country yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. gentlemen thank you so much for coming in this morning it's been an absolute pleasure to learn about this incredible survey uh, keep up the great work and by all means any uh, updates any uh, any more uh, you know information you can share with us just mm -hmm. come back and let mm -hmm. us know i know that uh, the journey is a long one to right. get these things put in place but it is really wonderful to see that we are at least addressing the equality issue in this country and that that as as the doctor has said we are moving towards the first world in that respect <laughs> that and obesity so <laughs> <laughs> it's a sad situation a sad thanks so much for coming in thank you thank so much you so for having much. us yes. uh, farid thank you Capital FM